Hey now, we are getting over and I am the Silver King, Adam Silverstein, here to lead you through these hard times. Data with instant analysis of AEW Revolution 2022. That's right, getting over is back once again and we are here just minutes after AEW's first pay-per-view of the year went off the air to break down every single thing that happened on the big show. Multiple title matches, multiple surprise debuts, and everything in between. Joining me, of course, to break it all down is none other than vintage Chris Vanini. But before we get to him, before we get to the show itself, you guys know, off the top, I gotta remind you that getting over... So head on over to Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Leave a five-star rating on Apple. Also leave a review and let people know why you love this damn podcast. Tell them about the instant analysis episode that we do unlike any other in the business. Do not forget to tell them to subscribe. Tell your friends, tell your family. Leave those reviews. We read every five-star review that is left for us on this podcast. Also, please do not forget to follow us on Twitter at Getting Overcast. Not only can you participate in pre and post show polls that we will discuss on here, you get to join us for Twitter space live shows before pay-per-views. We did one tonight. I timed it incorrectly, but nevertheless, we did it ahead of Revolution. And of course, we tweet live during all the major wrestling shows in the United States. Uh, So look, That's the intro, right? I'm very excited to get that done so quickly. Let's get into it. Now, for these instant analysis podcasts, we do these a little bit special because it's usually a Saturday night or a Sunday night and Vintage and I both are exhausted, more so tonight and this week than ever before for very different reasons that we're not going to discuss on the show. Both of us had extremely rough weekends. Uh, We're going to crack open a cold one and the Silver King gets to go first because it's my damn podcast. And I am drinking that once again, went everywhere and it's spilling out of the can. Uh, a <laughs> coffee lager from Copper Point Brewing in Boynton Beach, Florida. One of my favorite beers. I just re-upped, by the way, a total wine. I am stacked with craft beer in the fridge. So there's going to be some interesting ones to talk about over the coming uh, days, weeks, and probably months, maybe. Chris, what do you got over there? I've got a Dallas Blonde, uh, a, a safe, common choice around here. I actually picked it up today. Wanted to go with with a, a simple mm. uh, a simple blonde and who grab makes the that? local one. Uh, I think it's. I remember who exactly makes this? Let me see if I can find it here. The only Texas beer I know of is Shiner. Oh, it, it, like, it, it, it's it's I think it's I think the, I think it's deep yeah Deep Ellum Brewing Company. That's the the hip part of Dallas. Oh oh it is okay got it the the Austin part of Dallas as, as any any of you coming down for WrestleMania uh, you'll want to check out Deep Ellum. Chris will be going to WrestleMania. That is a, a different topic for another day. But uh, Chris, look, um, we try to do these shows as expeditiously as we can. It doesn't help when we have an 11 match card that took five hours to break down with extra bonus um, buy in matches that we just didn't expect in the show that started earlier than I expected, despite doing a lot of research on when the, the start time was for the entire show. So look, for any first time listeners, let me just break down how the show is going to go and we're going to get right into it. So we do an instant analysis. We break down every match. We give you our thoughts on the match, what went down, as well as grades. But we start things off with our pre-show grades, what our expectations were 
going into the show. And we wrap them up at the end with our post-show grades. You, the listeners, voted on Twitter in our poll to tell us what your grade was for the show. Chris and I will give them at the end. And as far as the way we break down the matches, we start with the main event. And I try to work through the most important stuff first. And then all the way uh, down the card, not exactly in the order that AEW presents. So, Chris, let's get into it with our pre-show grades. A reminder for everyone who listened to our Ultimate Preview. Both of us gave this an A- minus going into the show. And I got to tell you, dude, I was really surprised. And I'm not normally surprised with the results of our pre-show poll. Because 43% said A, but 43% also said B. Hmm. 8% C and 6% D to F. And I actually decided to do the math this time uh, to figure out what is that? Is it an A minus? Is it a B plus? It is a B plus. The C's and the D's and F's tip it in that direction. So we were a little bit higher on this show than the viewing and listening audience. That surprised me a little bit. That does surprise me. I, I, I mean, going in, we knew the card was stacked. We knew eight, all the talk among AEW fans was that it was better than a WrestleMania card. Um, right. So that does surprise me. I agree. So let's get into it. Let's get into the instant analysis. And let's start with the main event, the AEW World Championship. Hangman Adam Page defending against Adam Cole. And yes, as another Adam, I am. I was thrilled with this matchup. I was also thrilled with the Let's Go Adam chant that the crowd gave us at the beginning. I always appreciate those things. Uh, like I said, this was obviously the main event of the show. Jim Ross I don't know how, somehow didn't recognize the AEW World Championship when Paige brought it to the ring. I thought that was weird. Uh, but let's get into the match. Cole had a great counter, pulling Paige uh, back onto his knee for a neckbreaker. Hangman then powerbombed Cole so hard into the ring apron, it had to have hurt his back really bad. Then he hit a top rope moonsault outside and a Liger bomb inside for a near fall. Cole hit an incredible, perfectly timed super kick as Paige flew off the top rope doing a moonsault. He's done that in NXT before, but... It was a great shot to see it with a guy as big as Paige. Cole did Shawn Michaels super kick stomp, but Paige countered into Deadeye for a near fall. Hangman hit what was the seventh tombstone pile driver of the night for a near fall, and Cole got one of his own after a standard over the knee neck breaker. Hangman then nailed an avalanche Spanish fly for a 2.5. That led Red Dragon down. They distracted. Cole super kicked Paige in the back of his head, then hit Panama Sunrise outside. They distracted again. Cole hit a low blow plus Panama Sunrise and the last shot, but Paige kicked out at 2.8. And what I loved here was Excalibur on commentary did a great job explaining to the audience the kickout made sense despite everything that just happened because Cole did not lower his knee pad. So he didn't get the full effect like he normally does. He didn't have enough time to do it. Cole then lowered the pad. They countered each other with Cole super kicking Paige while he was trying the buckshot lariat. Hangman then collapsed to avoid the last shot. Red Dragon brought over a table, but Paige hit Deadeye into it, and he landed on his knees, which appeared to me to like bend backwards, and he was either legitimately hurt for a little bit, or he sold it expertly well. Either way, it was an interesting spot. Dark Order came down, but Hangman pushed one of them, and then all the extras around the ring brawled. Paige also sold an arm injury. He easily hit the buckshot lariat, but Cole got the back of his hand on the rope. Hangman then tied Cole's hand to the top rope hit two super kicks, and then ate one of them. Uh, Page lowered his pad and hit last shot on Cole, adding the buckshot lariat for the win in about 25 minutes. And then about 90 seconds after the match, Page went to Adam Cole, who was still knocked out cold, picked up his dead hand, shook it, and then the show ended. This was an extremely good match, and I don't actually have much analysis for it, right? 
The interference was bothersome, but they smartly cleared the ring of all like the riffraff distraction before they got to the finish. There was a really good callback to the go-home moment of Dynamite where Paige was tied into the ropes, and he got a clean win to extend his title reign. We talked so much that this guy's had great matches, and this was another one, but the storylines haven't accept- been exceptionally strong. This is the first time where there was some real storyline to chew on with Paige, and it made a lot of sense, him fighting Cole. I've just seen so many great Adam Cole matches, and recently I've seen so many great Hangman Adam Page matches that I found this one really tough to grade, Chris. I wound up at 4.5 stars as an, and an A just because of the distractions. It took me out of it for a bit, and it never really reached a gear that I think you need to reach in order to get an A+. But this was a fantastic match. I, I agree with most of those points. It it never got to that top, top gear. I, I were, I, whether you call them a bunch of false finishes or whatever, where people are just like, oh, oh my God. Right. And we'll get, and we'll get to the crowd at some point here, but True. the crowd was actually, they did get up. They were up for this match credit, credit to them for, for all that, but there were other parts that, that, that they weren't this. I, I, I like the distraction. Like, I, I like that they had the distraction then it and that it didn't play into the finish really like it's it's a long match Let, let's see how long they had it at 25 minutes 45 seconds on, on oh I nailed that video. good yeah but by so, the way when I do match times I estimate so I'm, I'm glad I got that one right good. I, I don't know if these are exact exact because they all end in zero or five seconds sure, uh, sure. minutes seconds so but yeah you need the interference is kind of like a just like a pause you know to to, to for for the wrestlers to kind of take a pause and your attention to kind of go elsewhere so it doesn't feel as as draggy. I liked that that Dark Order came out. It made sense. I had been wondering, and I said on the preview, were the Young Bucks going to come out because of their Red Dragon feud and potentially cost Cole the match or something like that? Mm-hmm. Obviously, it didn't happen, but it was something that was just in the back of my head. Uh, 4.5, I'd probably give it 4.25, but this was it, was it was a great match overall. Some other things I wrote down, uh, Cole's halo gear upon his entrance looked very, very corny. It did, right? Yeah, it, it looked che- like it, it's such an intricate, you know, co- costume suit that the guy wears. When you're only wearing part of it, it just looks kind of weird. And I got a bro- yeah. my brother. My brother's really into halo. He thought it looked just kind of weird. But I will say, Cole's uh, body looked good. He he had looked pretty flabby and pale over the past couple of weeks like on bte when you see him stuff like that Uh, and then but he looked he looked main event body for this it's an important part of wrestling no it is it's just funny i didn't notice it yeah so so he looked good and the other part you talk about the the story there was kind of a storyline that they 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 got some heat on this coming into the match but there was a point in the match where i think it was jim ross said that these guys were roommates 13 years ago and excalibur made a comment about that I didn't know that unless I had missed it in the build, that seemed like a huge point. You could have like developed a story around or just like kind of how long these guys have known each other. And, you know, back then. So I was surprised to have something like that in their background, not become part of the story, but uh, overall very solid main event. You know, it was a bit long, but it never felt like the match was dragging all that much. So yeah, a very well done. Great way to close the show. It was an interesting uh, point you made about the gear, because on a show where Jade Cargill had fantastic gear, CM Punk mm-hmm. looked incredible. And even Hangman Page in this match, I mean, it wasn't particularly great gear, but he wore it some rainbow colors, given he's in Florida. 
um, because mm-hmm. of the, that, that bill that uh, the House in Florida passed. It's very controversial. Uh, let's just say I agree with Hangman Page and, and the stance he was taking here. I'm sure that meant a lot to fans. Mm-hmm. So while one guy comes out with like a meaningful, different look, right? Another guy comes out and I got to say, yeah, it was actually pretty shitty. Halo gear. And I'm so used to seeing guys look like like when they do special gear look great. Like um, Tommaso Ciampa came out as, and I, I'm sorry if I butcher it because I don't know the video game, Kratos or something like that from oh, Gears yeah. of War or Medal of something War, like that, yeah. whatever that is. He looked awesome. Johnny Gargano would always do the uh, Marvel inspired gear. So like seeing Cole like that, I was just like, uh, this. I, and I played Halo back in college. So <laughs> I, so I'm aware of Halo and it just, it just really didn't work. I wasn't going to mention it, but I'm glad you did because it was notable. Um, regardless, I don't know where Hangman goes from here. I don't know where, if they continue this storyline directly, if they put it on pause, you know, I think we both had an expectation that a certain someone would be his next challenger. That doesn't look like it's going to be the case. So I am really curious to see what happens to the main event division right now. They have, you know, I think four months or so until double or nothing. And he's the world champion. They do have a special show coming up for St. Patrick's Day. Uh, You know, I'm just going to be very curious to see kind of how all this unfolds with the main event uh, division. But let's get to another huge match on the show. Uh, Brian Danielson versus John Moxley. I believe this was the third to last match. Uh, This started slow and deliberate for a good while with Matt wrestling and a lot of strong style strikes. Brian hit a huge running knee in the corner. He grabbed the back of his head or neck after a Saito suplex. And I actually audibly gasped because I was legitimately scared something happened to him in that moment. There was a cool Tope Suicida spot where they each countered the other's attempt. Mox either bladed or purposely got cut open a hard way with an elbow. Danielson hit an avalanche backdrop for a near fall. Brian delivered a ton of hammer elbows. Then Mox escaped the dragon sleeper and answered basically with the same moves. Mox escaped the little bell lock with the ropes. By the way, his face is absolutely gushing blood this entire time. They grabbed arms and stomped each other's chests. Mox got the bulldog choke, but Brian escaped and hit a running knee for a 2.5 before doing his flexing sleeper. Mox almost fell asleep, but flipped over Brian, catching his shoulders down on the canvas for the one, two, three. Brian was incensed. He and Mox brawled. They were wild after the bell. Security couldn't stop them. And suddenly coming, I think from the side of the ramp, it may have been down the ramp. I was just so crazed at the moment. Uh, William Regal. Yeah. William Regal comes down. He pushes them apart, headbutts Mox, slaps (laughs) Brian in the face, and then forces them to shake hands. They held their grip. Brian and Regal then walked out as Mox stayed in the ring. So, okay, let's put Regal aside for a moment because I'm popping for that. First, the match. This match was killer. Brutal, strong style war between two of the best in the business. Every single thing they did worked. Even the blood was appropriate here because they waited. They didn't do it right after the bell like we saw in another match. And they also executed it well. And only one guy bladed. With a sudden finish which, by the way, I predicted to a T on our ultimate preview, Chris. I called this match perfectly. Uh, I, I, it's, again, a really tough grade. I'm going to go 4.5 stars and an A, but it was so, so, so close to an A+. If you want to go 4.75, I'm there with you. I get it, like whatever. As far as Regal goes, another brutally unforced error by WWE releasing this guy for no reason whatsoever. I liked the idea of Mox and Brian tagging and maybe creating a faction. I love the idea of them joining together 
with William Regal, Steven Regal, whatever he's going to go by. This was top to bottom from the match to the end of it, an incredible segment. It was, for me, a top two moment on the entire pay-per-view. Abs- like enthralled. This is this is wrestling for me. Like When you listen to this podcast and we talk about WWE and AEW and New Japan and NXT, and you're like, hey, Silver King, what do you like out of wrestling? This segment is what I like out of wrestling. That's, inter- that's interesting because I I didn't I, I I liked it. I probably give the match of four stars. It did like I like it's a weird thing to say, but I like wrestling more than MMA because I know it's fake. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And when I know it's been so long since he was out, but still seeing Dan O'Brien take certain shots to the neck, a kick to the back of the head. It just makes me a little uncomfortable given everything that, that Brian had been through. Clearly he's okay because he's been through it now, but just I'm never it, it it always just takes me out of the moment seeing Brian do stuff like that. The crowd was dead for a good chunk of this match in the middle. I it, this was the tenth match of the of the night, if you include the three uh pre-show matches. So understandably, you know, and that was coming off of two matches prior was the dog collar match. So they they were there were there were moments where they just they they left you and they had to you had to bring them back after a certain period of time and they did and the end of this match was great love that finish uh, that they did the way it happened the, 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 he's fallen out but he counts the one two three really creative way to do it because we knew we, they weren't going to do some sort of draw or something mm-hmm. so that was that was great Regal coming out I, I like I was unaware of Regal being there real life mentors or, or however you say it. So it, it was a little bit weird at first, but I just in general popped for William Regal. And my my brother texted me and he goes, he goes, it turns out NXT was actually the developmental for AEW. It was. <laughs> I it mean was. you think about all the people and we'll get this we'll get to you know swerve in a minute, but just you think of all the people on the show that were at the top of NXT a year ago, you know, the, the undisputed era. You've got William Regal in there. Uh, just, just Keith Lee, Kyle Riley, Bobby Lee. Fish, Adam. It's Cole. really just incredible. All that talent that Triple H put together is now just shining for AEW. And someone, someone had a really good tweet. It was at uh, PWO Lost tweeted. You mean to tell me that we finally get Adam Cole wrestling for the championship in the main event? William Regal getting the pop of his life. Chris Jericho submitting, and Triple H doesn't even get to be the one to book it. <laughs> <laughs> right. I mean, like, just yeah, it's just another. We yeah. we just we talk time. We talk time, time again. How 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 just ridiculous WWE has been in letting so much talent go, and it's not even. It's not just that it's letting it go, but so much of it you know is ending up on your biggest competitor. Well, let's uh, let's clarify a couple things though, because like Adam Cole, Brian Danielson, yes. John Moxley, uh, uh, Kyle O'Reilly, those guys were not released. Correct. Their contracts expired. They decided to go. So, you know, there are others that were released. And I think both surprise debuts, William Regal being one of them, made on tonight's show uh, or that happened on tonight's show, may be the two most flummoxing people that WWE released in the entirety of the releases. Because you can come up with excuses or reasons, legitimate reasons, actually, for releasing Braun Strowman or Bray Wyatt. Or even, mm. you know what? And and you guys know I love Keith Lee. You can would, come up, I can come up with a reason to release Keith Lee, okay? Older guy, 
you know, struggled. I'd, to th- I'd put all three of those ahead of Swerve, but that's me. C- c- yeah, okay, but but what Swerve has, and we're going to talk about it in a little bit. I don't want to, you know, uh, put the cart before the horse here. But what what William Regal has is, from a wrestling mind standpoint, top tier, top tier wrestling mind. Someone that you want to build yes. this company and get creative and handle the backstage stuff. Top tier dude makes zero sense to release him whatsoever. Greatest authority in, in one of the greatest, perhaps in the, the greatest history. authority figure on screen of all time. It's it's arguable. Uh, and then what, what you have in Swerve, and you know, I, I, we're putting the cart before the horse, but but screw it at this point. What you have in Swerve is a top tier potential breakthrough talent that goes beyond wrestling to multiple other arenas in terms of music, fashion, like all these things that this guy can do. And he's young and he's up and coming and he fits the demographic that WWE wants to appeal to. He's everything that a company like WWE should want. And they groomed him up perfectly and they put him on the main roster with his friends in a a group that absolutely should have worked and was over as hell. And then they just said, eh, screw it. A week later, a week later. Yeah, so, 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 you know, again, there, I was upset that they released Ember Moon. I was upset that they released Ruby Riot, but you can at least come up with reasons for certain people. I cannot come up with reasons for William Regal and Swerve, and it pisses me off to no end, not because I'm mad that they're in AEW, but AEW doesn't need either of them. WWE badly needs. Could you imagine if they said to William Regal, hey, man, you're done with NXT. We want you on the main roster as an authority figure or helping with creative or whatever the case. Swerve, we're going to put you in the mid card. Like it would actively make that product better and more watchable. Mm-hmm. They add it to AEW and you saw the, I mean, the crowd popped huge for William Regal, but when oh, yeah. Swerve came out, the crowd was happy. Don't get me wrong, but it was like, oh, another one. That was kind of the reaction. It was like, oh, okay, we have another piece. I yes, and part of that is if we're do, if we're doing this worst stuff now, part of that well is, yeah. is what a stupid way to debut him. Really, and they've really done bad. this for so many guys. Every yeah. almost, every other pay per view, they mentioned it. Last year's Revolution, they did this. We're just, Tony Schiavone is going to come out and announce we signed somebody. Let that me pause. The, yeah. Let me pause you and explain what happened, and then you can go for it. Okay, so. Swerve, Shane Strickland, okay, former Isaiah Swerve Scott in WWE, signed with AEW. They did a special announcement after the Faces of Revolution ladder match. Now, you guys heard me allude to this on the podcast. I reported it on our Twitter Spaces live show. Out of all the people in WWE, like I said, Swerve was in my top five and maybe top two in terms of most confusing that they released. So, I... I, the crowd response when his name was announced was a little bit dull. They did do a couple chants for him. But from the viewing audience standpoint, Chris, Tony Schiavone ruined the surprise for everyone watching at home because he kept flapping around the contract on a clipboard and the name <laughs> Swerve was right on it. So oh, I actually num- didn't see that. Yeah, so number one, <laughs> unlike Christian when he debuted, they did not promote it on Dynamite and say we have a huge signing. For Revolution, mm-hmm. we have this big news you want to buy the pay-per-view and tune in for. They didn't promote it that way. Granted, Swerve is not a Hall of Famer like Christian, but still, they didn't promote it. They just kind of put it out there, and they just had the guy kind of stand around a little bit. Like, it was, the crowd chanted for him, and that was good, you know, but th- they were very light chants, and it just felt like as lackluster as a de- debut could possibly be for a guy that, you heard me just put him over on this podcast. I'm a huge fan of him. And I was 
kind of a little depressed by the way they did that. Yeah, I mean, William, I mean, I, William Regal got a, a bigger, William Regal was a bigger deal, but there was a pop because it was a, a surprise. I, I just, I can't believe AW still, for all the surprises they do, they do them quite frequently. All the time. Yeah. I still can't believe they do the, we're just going to have Tony Schiavone announce the hire. That's like, that's the least exciting way to do it. Compare that to Keith Lee's debut a couple of weeks ago. Right. And he got a huge pop. He had a match where he got to look great. And you're just like, boom, I'm all in on Keith Lee. Like if you didn't watch NXT and you don't know who the hell Swerve is, you're just like, okay. Right. Like right. They, they gave you a reason to be interested in Keith Lee I, when he debuts. And by the way, what happened to like, not, not saying we have an announcement. What happened to like a guy just showing up and running into a match? Yeah. And you're like, oh my God, Swerve is an AEW. He's all elite. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, why don't, why doesn't that happen anymore? I, I was it, expecting him to come in at the end of the letter, man. So was I, and as was I. It, yeah. And it either push Warlow out or do something, just be like, oh man, Swerve's here, everybody's going crazy. So. All right. So, you uh, know what? I, I didn't want to do this now, but we're obviously moving on to the ladder match. So well, let's just. Well, real, real quick. I have one last hot take about William Regal. And Fine. that is, I don't want him to be the manager for Moxley and Brian. What do you I want? Get, I don't, I don't think they need a manager. AEW has problem where they have a lot of two man teams and they put a third manager with them. Like Christian with, with, with Jurassic Express. And it, there's just too much going on. Brian and Mox have a great story together. I have loved all of their interactions that they've been together. I don't need Regal on top of that. I think Regal's great. I love to have around. You can do a million things with them. I honestly, if they do team up as a tag team, I just want the two of them because the whole story is a dynamic between them. So hopefully if this happens and, and Regal's involved, he knows to kind of to stay back and make sure the focus is on them and not make himself the story. I think that's I think that's a fair take. I, I I'm fine with him being involved with it, but what I would like to see is like Brian and Mox as co-leaders of whatever faction or whatever thing they're gonna yeah. do. And Regal is like the wise old sage behind them to like solve disagreements or kind of serve you know what in that he, function. You, you know, know what, what he'd be he'd be he'd be Paul Heyman to Roman Reigns. Where Roman yes. was the focus and Heyman yes. was just there to promote him. Yes, I agree with that. More Paul Heyman than Don Callis. Yes. I totally, yes. yes, totally agree with that. Okay, so look, let's just move on to the face of the Revolution ladder match. This was not the order I was going to go in, but since we kind of are already talking about it, let's just go. So real quick, some stuff happened on Rampage that needs to get discussed. We had Keith Lee versus JD Drake. Lee won with the Big Bang Catastrophe in a match that went way too long. The Wingmen, by the way, apparently still exist. They did AEW's typical unnecessary post-match attack. Lee hit Cesar Bononi with a spirit bomb. Starks and Hobbs did a like a ramp stare down before Orange Cassidy came out to even the sides. We also had Christian Cage against Ethan Page. Uh, the rhymes are killing me here. This was to determine the last entrant in the match. There was a through the ropes cutter on Christian for a near fall. Page later kicked out of a spear. Christian reversed Ego's edge into kill switch and he got the win. And like I said before, uh, there, it just made no sense to do this match or have Page in it. But okay, we got to the face of the revolution ladder match. Keith Lee, Wardlow, Powerhouse Hobbs, Ricky Starks, Orange Cassidy, and Christian Cage. We got a big, meaty standoff seconds after the bell, but Orange ruined it with comedy. AW tried, but failed to do the Keith Lee Godzilla camera angle where he like rises up uh, on the ropes. Uh, Orange did a helicopter with the ladder and everyone just ran into it for no reason whatsoever. Like they were like characters in a video game. They just decided to take hits. It was really strange, but he did have a great spot where Lee and Wardlow held the ladder vertically or horizontally, I'm sorry. 
and he jumped on top of it to try and grab the ring. Uh, Wardlow climbed to a Starks and Orange on his back. All six guys climbed two ladders. Wardlow and Hobbs both grabbed the ring and then just fell off. Lee launched Orange outside. Hobbs took himself out and Wardlow put Lee over the top rope. Then they double teamed Keith, ripped a rigged ladder in half for really no reason at all, and battled all the way up to commentary where Wardlow pushed Lee and Hobbs off the stage into a setup below, none of them caring that there were three other people still that who should have been going for the brass ring to win the match. Uh, Danhausen comes out of the ring, pulls Starks off a ladder, even though Orange was not like being saved or anything. Wardlow powerbombed Christian. Then, and this was easily the spot of the match, jumped onto a horizontal ladder that was like placed between the ropes and the vertical ladder and powerbombed Starks off the standing ladder into the horizontal ladder. And Starks, it looked like he almost broke his neck the way he landed. Wardlow then climbed two rungs. He grabbed the ring. And Jim Ross asked, is this train wreck over? What he meant was, is this, you know, crazy battle with all these parts? Car crash. Yeah, car crash. Uh, Is this over? But I'm glad he said it, not me, because he meant it in a different way than I would have meant it if I was on commentary. Chris, this was, I'm not going to say it was the worst ladder match I've ever seen, because it wasn't. But it was one of them, and it was at least one of the worst I've seen in a long time. It had its moments with Orange's creativity, the powerbomb finish. It was structured well, not executed well. But there were also an absolute ton of teases <laughs> that we never got. We never got any of the hoss fighting that they teased us with, despite three huge dudes in the match. And there was also... Almost zero high-flying or real excitement here. It was very tough for this match to follow the first two matches of the show, which were just outstanding and, and never could have been topped. Even with a almost perfect ladder match, it would have been difficult. But this, to me, completely, in almost every way, under-delivered. I went 2.5 stars and a C. Uh, no, I enjoyed it. Like, AEW typically does not do ladder matches well. And, and the, these Face of the Revolution ladder matches have not gone very well either. They've, I don't know if they're not structured right. It's just, it's, it's, there's a lot of moving pieces, and I think the structure and production of the show still can't quite handle it the way WWE can. Um, but but I, I did enjoy it. I, I liked Wardlow's. Was that new gear for Wardlow, it looked like? I'm pretty sure that was new gear for him. Mm-hmm. I thought he looked great uh, in it. No longer wearing just kind of the general black and stuff like that. As for the big meaty men teases, you're right that we didn't get it. But I think we are moving right into Keatley versus Powerhouse Hobbs. So maybe you just want to tease that because you're about to give it to us. So I, I, I kind of get it, but... I would have liked more. I would, yeah, I would have loved to see the three of them give me give me a, a, a feats of strength and they're and they're tied and then one of them breaks it up or something like that. Like they're, I think you could have done something with it. Give us a little bit more. So so we're we're looking forward to it uh, on the next one. I I I give this three point five. I enjoyed it. It wasn't gr- it wasn't great, but Wardlow was the right winner, and it obviously set up something later. It, it set up something later in the show. And yeah, I hope Starks is okay. That was a pretty brutal spot there at the end. Um, I think commentary made a comment like he looked like he broke his neck or something like that. Uh, I think that's what Jim Ross meant by train wreck. Um, 
but it was fine. I, honestly, by the standards of AEW ladder matches, I thought it was actually on the upper end, but that's a pretty low bar. I mean, fair enough, but I mean, I, I, I just cannot agree with that at all. It was it was a really <laughs> down point in the show for me. But you did mention Wardlow being the right winner. He absolutely was. We discussed that on the Ultimate Preview. I think you had uh, Keith Lee coming out of this. I did. Uh, Silver King did not. Silver King had Wardlow because the Silver King is almost always right. We can say always and just kind of forget the almost. But anyway, I was uh, I was right that they announced Swerve via announcement. I, I called that. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I, no, that, that makes I, sense. I did say they I did say they wouldn't give a good entrance. And you were you said, please don't do that. And they did. <laughs> they did. They, it's exactly what they did. Uh, but you did mention Wardlow playing into a match later. So we might as well jump to that. You're really directing the show here, Chris. Uh, let's talk CM Punk versus MJF in a dog collar match on Rampage. Punk was still bloody, getting tended to by trainers coming out of Dynamite. He stood up, called himself the master and said he knows who the fuck he is. And I'm quoting that. Uh, he said he will be the guy MJF remembers as a kid, a monster who will leave parts of him all over Orlando. Really good taped promo from Punk. Now for the match. Uh, MJF faked out the crowd when he made his entrance by playing Cult of Personality first before his theme. Then Punk entered to his old Ring of Honor music, which was a great sight. And it was really an awesome moment. The one thing I didn't, I understood it. I, I had seen Punk make his entrances in Ring of Honor before, but I was looking at it from like the perspective of a fan. It's been so long, obviously, since that happened. And commentary waited like, it felt like four or five minutes to explain to the viewer what was going on. And that I didn't like. Punk as someone as someone who did not watch Punk and Ring of Honor at that period, I didn't. I only knew because I had Twitter open and people were making. That and you also probably assumed, oh, it's an old theme, probably, and they did yes. buy Ring of Honor, so you could put two and two together. But again, just like with Excalibur in the Page Cole match, if you spell it out for the viewer, it makes for a better experience. And they should have done that here. Just something I wanted to note. Um, Punk also used his old nickname and wore boxing trunks. MJF whipped Punk across the back super hard. Then Punk bladed just minutes into the match. His head gushed to the point that it was actually concerning for a little bit. MJF then demanded a, quote, fucking mic and told Punk to quit. Punk told him to eat shit. And Chris, that moment when that happened in the match, it put into my head that I quit would have been a better stipulation than dog collar. I'm wondering if you agree. <sighs> I see. I liked dog collar because it was different. I we we just we we have a lot of I quit matches. Um, I don't know if AEW's done one or no, not. they haven't. But I I I disagree just because dog collar was so unique and I I think it worked. So I wouldn't have changed okay. it. We've gotten those before or Texas Bull Rope at least maybe dog collar. I don't remember, but we've had similar so, matches a strap in match, AEW. Something like that. Yeah. We've had similar ones. Uh, so Punk tried to break MJF's hand with the chain. MJF choked Punk with the chain in a sleeper. He raised his arm at three. I liked the old school spot. They never they don't do that enough in wrestling. And I like that. Uh, MJF countered the GTS into Salt of the Earth. Punk escaped into Anaconda Vice, but a counter broke it. Punk wrapped the chain around his knee for a Shining Wizard. MJF bladed. Punk tried another one into the steps, but MJF moved. Punk then sold the knee while trying the GTS. Then the chain got all caught up in the ropes, so they had to fix that. Punk countered a tombstone pile driver on the apron as MJF sold the hand in one of the best spots of the match. MJF dodged a chain-wrapped elbow drop and dumped thumbtacks in the ring. That finally got the fans to stand. We'll talk about that in a moment. MJF escaped a Pepsi plunge and hit a superplex into the tax. MJF screamed for Wardlow to come down. He eventually did. 
but he kept looking in his pockets for the dynamite diamond ring, couldn't find it. Punk pulled MJF into the go to sleep and he landed right on the tax. Wardlow then just so happened to find the ring in his other pocket and looked at it and then left it out on the ring apron for Punk. Punk eventually grabbed it uh, as Wardlow walked off in what was a great moment to face pop, to like face cheers from the crowd. Uh, Punk pulled MJF to his knees. MJF spit in his face. Punk delivered the punch with the ring for the one, two, three. And Jim Ross again said, it's over mercifully. That's was the first of two times JR said something um, in a post-match call for an unintended reason that kind of nailed it, at least as far as I was concerned. Look, dog collar matches historically are not going to be fast-paced slobber knockers, to use one of JR's terms. But even for a slow match, and I know Punk was really trying to go back and do an ode to Rowdy Roddy Piper. It was clear that's what his effort was in this spot. It was pretty rough and slow. And if you don't agree, just watch the crowd being totally out of it until those thumbtacks came out. They were quiet. They sat on their hands. They'd make a little noise here and there, but they were not popping for this match. The blood started way too early and too easily. And the wrestling, the actual like part that you are there to see was lacking. But the storytelling and the selling were both great. And the finish was strong because it ignites that MJF Wardlow feud and makes you want to watch Dynamite to find out what they're going to say to each other. The finish actually helped save the match for me. So I'm going to go 3.5 stars and a B. The only other like extenuating thing here, and we talked about this on the Ultimate Preview, Chris, it's like, when is CM Punk going to put someone over? Correct. We both picked MJF to win this because we expected him to be the next one to fight Adam Page. And it's four months away. He still could. You know, we could still, we could do Punk versus Wardlow and then, oh, I'm sorry, MJF versus Wardlow. MJF wins and then he fights Page. Problem is, Punk is probably in line for a title shot here real soon. How could he not be? Right. Unless you make the case that they're one and one against each other. But yeah, anyway, Punk Punk should be in that spot. So you made the, you made the comment about Mox Bryan being exactly what you want from wrestling. Honestly, this I, this is probably the match we'll disagree with the most. This was a lot of what I enjoy about wrestling. And I probably give it hmm. 4.5, not necessarily for the wrestling, but just as a the entire thing. The story they told, we, we said coming in that this was this felt like it should have been the main event. And it had the, I know it had the it had the feeling of a main event. You you get the different punk and first of all you got MJF coming out in a pretty sure that was a new getup uh, for for him as well. Didn't come out in the regular scarf and stuff like that. So that was one thing. You get the punk entrance, which again commentary should have said this, but the whole point of this feud was MJF saying, "I want the old CM Punk back." And here they are in their big final match, and he gets the old CM Punk back. Like that, that they brought it all the way back around. And commentary should have explained that better. That was great storytelling from the two of them. You mentioned the small thing in the match. I think you mentioned it though. Uh, when someone's in a sleeper and the referee picks their arm up three times, you know they they catch themselves on the third one. And that it's I, I say it all the time. I'm so frustrated that WWE doesn't do this anymore. And because it's just a natural signal to the crowd to be like, oh, here we go. It's coming back in the crowd. It gets into it when you do that. And 
Yeah, I mean, this match was, how long was it? It was also 25 minutes, 45-ish seconds. I was not bored by this match whatsoever. I, I was completely into it the whole time. It made sense that they got so bloodied. I think you can make a fair point that having two matches where two guys are covered in blood, it's a lot. It's probably a bit too much. But this was the first one on the show. So it wasn't, it, it was a new thing at the time. And yeah, I, I was surprised Punk won, but they did it in a way that set up the next story. So it wasn't just like, boom, Punk beats MJF and he, he's buried. It's like, no, MJF suddenly has to deal with this Wardlow thing they've been building for so long. Like, it's such a great transition into another feud that they've been slowly piecing it together. And so this was, this was great. I, like I said, 4.5 stars. I just, I loved everything about this. This felt like it was the main event coming in. You could have made this the main event, run it the way you did. And I think it would have been a great way to send everybody home. Yeah, I mean, I this was my main event going into the show from a storyline, interest, excitement perspective. And I'm not saying it, I didn't enjoy it, but, I, you know, when I do my grades, I'm grading the match, not just the segment and the entertainment value. And, you know, watching that, like I said, it was way too slow. It was in some ways convoluted and it just it didn't really pick up until you got to that finish. Once you got to the finish and the thumbtacks, it was on fire and the crowd loved it and everyone was all in. But it, it was a very long and slow match. And like I said, they definitely purposely did this as a throwback, like an 80s brutal type of match. Mm -hmm. But when you, those matches back in the day, when they did Crimson Masks and they bladed and then they did all that, they didn't do it two minutes after the bell. They waited until there was a moment in the match and a, a blow that required... See the color that, that required See, the, kind of going to the next level. And, and that was the difference for me between this match and Moxley and Danielson. I, they, I will say they though, used blood in that match. Let, let me finish. They used yeah. blood in that match to enhance the brutality. Once they got to a certain point where they were beating the shit out of each other in this one, they almost used it as a crutch early in the match. Go ahead. So my first reaction when I saw punk get bloodied right away, and I don't, again, I don't think commentary said this, but they easily could have, which was Punk just was just bloodied four days ago. He, you could just, I, my thought was, oh, MJF just reopened the cut. Like mm -hmm. that was already there. That like that, to, I just, I don't know if they, I don't know if that was the story they were telling, but I took it that way. And to me, it felt natural. Was, oh, like we, we just, two days ago, we saw Punk, the clip of him on, on Rampage getting cleaned up with the blood. So he's, I knew he, I know that happened on, on, on Wednesday. But I just took it as, oh, he just reopened the same cut because he was just blooded a few days ago. I don't know if that was on purpose or not, but I think it, that's why I thought it made sense. Gotcha. Okay, let's keep going here. Uh, AEW Women's Championship, Britt Baker defending against Thunder Rosa. Rosa hit a okay superplex and held on to a fireman's carry neckbreaker that completely missed her knee. Uh, Baker hit a double underhook twisting driver for a near fall. There were some counters before Baker hit an avalanche air raid crash for a 2.8 in what I thought was the spot of the match. Rosa hit the sixth tombstone pile driver of the show. We went out of order here, so, uh, but I was keeping count after it got to like set six. Um, Rebel distracted the referee after that. Jamie Hayter slid the belt into the ring and Baker hit the curb stomp on top of the belt, but Rosa kicked out, which is just so silly for me. Uh, Rosa failed trying a lockjaw and put Baker in a straitjacket. 
She tapped, but the referee was again distracted by Rebel. So Rosa did a tope spear just like Big E does. Baker caught her coming back into the ring with another curb stomp for the win. What this match proved, to me at least, and I already knew this and I've said it on the podcast before, is their lights out match was all about the spectacle and not the wrestling. Left to their own devices without the spots, the, the all the gimmicks, and Baker selling the goriness with the crimson mask that she had, they were pretty boring, despite this being a really heated rivalry. Since Baker was retaining, the finish 100% should have come after the belt stomp. I don't know yep. why they would keep it going after that. Kicking out of a shot like that is absurd, and AEW did that twice in this one show. The interference was also overdone, and we hoped going into this that they did not telegraph the winner WWE style because everything coming into this, especially if it was a WWE match, told us that Baker would retain the title. So we thought, oh, they're going to counterbook it and Roser's going to win in a spot where they really needed to change the title, by the way, because Baker has just become very bland with the championship. Not that she's not good, but it's monotonous. She's not completely, but largely run out of opponents. She's gone through most of the division. And they had a person here who, to this point, had her number where they easily could have made the title change. The action did pick up towards the end of the match. I thought the beginning was candidly pretty awful. This was super tough to grade because I wanted to give them credit for some good work at the end. So I'm going to say three stars and a B minus. I think that may be a little bit nice, though. I I was going to put it maybe 3.25 and you made the point that the match should have ended on the curb stomp on the belt, especially if Britt Baker was going to win. This match was 17 minutes, 25 seconds. And in, we haven't really talked about it, but the show being four, essentially four hours long on the main card was too much. And if you look at places you could have cut some time, this was one of them. Now, you know, AEW does not generally book the woman, the women well, and you don't want to take away from the women considering mm-hmm. all, all the matches. But this was, you you could have shaved a couple minutes off of this, especially because it wasn't a title change. And I, I thought the match was good. Otherwise, though, I liked the entrances. I liked uh, Thunder Rose's get up. Like, AEW did a good job with this pay-per-view, making it feel like a pay-per-view. The stage was different. People got nice costumes. So, so that, so that was good. Um, Match was was fine, I, and I'm so okay. I, I wrote this down. I'm going to be the one to bring up Jim Ross line now. It's at the <laughs> end of the match. He goes, "It was a great match, but did we really need all this interference?" <laughs> and he's right. He's right. It was, it, and it, it was clearly to set up though. It I didn't realize this at the time, and I we probably should have. And in two weeks, there's a show. I think two weeks. There's a show in San Antonio where Thunder Rose is from. Mm. Before then, Thunder Rosa has a number one contenders match with Layla Hirsch. And by why does she have all- a number one? Wait, hold on. Is that what Tony Schiavone announced in that segment? Um, yeah, they announced it. Okay, because yeah, I had to walk the dog at that moment. So, yep. So, yep. so, so, just like Andrade, who lost the TNT title match and got another TNT title match, Thunder Rosa yep. just lost the AEW Women's Championship match, but she was where she was challenging, and now gets another number one contendership match. They're, they're going to do what Bully Ray said they should have done with Adam Page, which was lose on that pay-per-view and then win it a week She's or two later win it on TV. in your hometown. She's going to win it. She's going to win it on TV. Uh, yeah. yeah, on TV yep. in a couple weeks, which makes sense. But again, you don't need to do this to get there. I know they tried to protect her with all the interference, but good Lord, it was a lot of interference. But that's the like, thing. But that, that makes the match was interference. Chris, that makes our point even stronger. Because if you have her do the stomp, 
cheating with the belt, mm-hmm. which is more effective. Mm-hmm. She not only gets to say, well, number one, you cheated. And number two, that's something that would not normally happen. Instead, she actually, she didn't lose clean because there was so much distraction interference. But in the moment, that move was hit clean and she lost clean with the one, two, three. So they actually gave her a worse loss by doing it the way yep. they did than they otherwise would have, where she would have had an excuse, deserved a number one contendership opportunity, and then deserved another title match. So really, that announcement made the booking of it worse, as far as I'm concerned. Yep, totally. And one last thing sense. on this. It makes sense. The, yeah. the new women's championship belt looks tremendous. It I, might be the yeah. best looking belt in the company. I was going to bring that up. So before the match, she came down, Baker, uh, with the new championship, which, by the way, is weird to like just have someone walk out with it, not announce it. Yes, say like, it's again, and exactly. tease it. Just, yeah. And, and like, by the way, like, yeah, sorry, ahead, sorry. One more thing. One more thing. And, and I like when they debut a new championship and there's a reason for it. Not just yeah. so number one, they should announce it. They should say, hey, we're going to debut a new thing. Let's hype it up, you know, get ready, get excited, whatever. OK, that's number one. Number two, there should be a reason. What I would have had happen is if they do have Thunder Rosa win the championship in two weeks in San Antonio, then when she wins it, they bring out a new championship for her or she gets to unveil it the next week on Dynamite and it's a big championship ceremony and you make a big deal about it. You don't just have someone walk out with it. But but to your point, I loved it, okay? It's a takeoff of the Mid-South Wrestling uh, North American Championship, but they kept the black and gold colors that they used for the AEW women's title that they have used for both versions of it to this point. I think it's a significant improvement to the last one. And like you just said, I think it's AEW's best looking championship. I think it's better than the men's title. Yeah. The men's title, I think has too much silver looking in it. This one's just straight black and gold. And that's always the best look for a title. Love it. Yeah. I I completely agree with you. I thought it was awesome. Okay, let's. I'm I'm all over the place here with my um my notes because we jumped around. Okay, tag team championship, Jurassic Express defending against Red Dragon and Young Bucks. Off the bat, you guys know I'm gonna say this right away. I hate tag team triple threats where only two people are illegal. Yep. It doesn't make a shred of sense. If you have a triple threat match, all three in a singles match, all three people are illegal. If you have a triple threat tag team match. There's three teams. Three people should be legal at any given time. It doesn't make sense. Um, now, it was an AEW tag team match with Rick Knox as referee. So <laughs> really, the tagging didn't actually matter that much. And the point of a, I understand they did it on purpose. The point of AEW doing the two legal men rule here was because they wanted to show the Young Bucks and Red Dragon actively working together and tagging each other. But Chris, I just wanted to say, I hate it on principle. It makes matches worse. Well, and also and also working against each other, because otherwise you could have just had the two of them team up the whole time. Now you have True. some spots where Young Bucks versus Red Dragon. So I, I get it. But same with WWE. They do this, too. I, I just I hate it. Yeah, it's and, and WWE does not do it all the time. Sometimes you get all three. Yeah. It, it, so it's, it's it's nonsensical. It, it's it's just terrible. I, I hate Yeah, it's frustrates me so much. Anyway, um. The Bucks hit a draping sent on. Luchasaurus got a great extended hot tag. As he was really the only big man in the match. He had a huge moonsault, three choke slams, and a standing moonsault inside. He also ate a Canadian destroyer by Nick Jackson before landing a doomsday device on him. After 10 minutes, the elite 
fought each other uh, for the first time in the match. Jungle Boy hit a shooting star press to break a front chancery. I got to say the move looked super dangerous and I didn't like that. Then Nick Jackson hit a 540 to break a fall. Matt distracted with the belt and Kyle O'Reilly nailed Jungle Boy with it, but he immediately kicked out at 2.5. So in AW kayfabe, I just want to get this clear. A punch from the dynamite diamond ring knocks you out cold. A chair shot, a belt shot, a stomp on a belt, anything else basically, and you can kick out a 2.5. It, I, I just cannot stand that, dude. Yeah. It, like, you, you can do kick out of a title shot type stuff, but they, it has to be in only key moments, not the second match on the main card. Key, key moments or the guy doesn't cover right away. Yes. So you get a little bit yes. of time to recover. <sighs> anyway, so he immediately kicks out. Then Red Dragon hits high-low. Luchasaurus breaks the fall. O'Reilly helped the Bucks, then ate a stereo super kick uh, from both of them before the Bucks hit BTE trigger on Jungle Boy with O'Reilly breaking the fall. Jungle Boy jumped off of Matt to take Nick off the ropes. Then German suplexed Matt. Luchasaurus took out everyone else outside the ring. There was a weird near fall sequence. Luchasaurus then completely missed a kick before they hit Thoracic Express for the win. Damn good match that went 20 minutes. I thought this was the best that Jurassic Express has looked as the champions. A certain someone who will not be named will give this five stars. I promise you. I cannot get there. The booking made sense, but there was basically no selling the entire match, including the belt shot and, you know, the tag team rules on top of everything else. I'm going to go 4.5 stars and an A. I know some of you absolutely love the Young Bucks and love their matches. To me, it's just a little bit too much of a spot fest, not enough psychology, not enough selling to really go all the way. It's not saying they can't do a five-star match, but for me, this was not one. But it was super entertaining as the second match on the main card and totally belonged on the pay-per-view. Yeah, oh yeah, absolutely. And it was the right winner, the winner we both expected. They did a good job continuing the Red Dragon Young Buck story while also make, making sure we didn't forget about Jurassic Express. So that was good. Let me pull up the rest of my notes here. Um, Luchasaurus had a great spot where he grabbed both guys by the throat and did a kip up to choke slam both of them. He he remains probably the most underrated dude on that roster. That that dude is incredible, Luchasaurus. And for all the talk about Jungle Boy being a pillar and everything like that, like just do not forget how incredible Luchasaurus is. Um, this was a lot of fun. Again, like this was yeah almost twenty minutes, about nineteen minutes. You could have cut a couple minutes off of this one too. It, it was the second match on the card. It's, and again, you're not changing the tag titles. You, you, I think you could have cut a little bit of time off this. But, you know, we got what we expected. A bunch of crazy spots. That's what AEW tag team matches are going to be. Mm-hmm. It was a lot of fun. Crowd loved it. It was fine. It was good. I, wanted to go, I wanted to go back to Punk MJF because there was something I wanted to say that I forgot. Uh, any match in any wrestling promotion, I don't care if it's WWE, AEW, GCW, whatever. Okay. If you are going to use thumbtacks, the referees, the officials should not be forced to count pinfalls barehanded. It's absolute bullshit and unfair. Give them an oven mitt. I I don't know what you need to give them, but it is bullshit that these, these guys, these wrestlers are paid to take bumps. And guess what? They take them on their backs, their legs. These guys are slamming their palms, sometimes just the bottom of their palms, but they're slamming it into the mat and jamming thumbtacks into their hands, which is, by the way, a very sensitive part of your body. 
The referee in this match, the first time he did it, he like grabbed his hand and pulled three tacks out of his hand. It's bullshit. Every company should, there should be, like when they dump the bag of thumbtacks in the ring, a mitt should fall out of it for the referee. (laughs) That's a a, a good call. Totally agree. Uh, I would protest if I'm these referees. Shout out out to refs. Yeah, we don't need to be hurting them. So that's a fair point. One one last thing on this tag match I want to mention. Go ahead. Uh, the, the, the title, the title shot to the head kickout was bad, but I will say almost all of the kickouts in this match were, 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 were pin breakups by, by somebody else coming in. So that's a great way to get a, Sometimes you do all these crazy spots that people shouldn't be kicking out of and they kick out of them. This was a great way to do it where most of them were someone breaks up the pin. I, I think that was yes, a very true. much smarter way to do it. So I, I also credit them for doing that a lot in this match, more than I think AW typically does. And by the way, that was a, that would have been a great way to overcome the belt shot. Exactly. That, that was my thought. Like, yeah. you could have just done another one of them. It would have been fine. Exactly. Now, let's talk about the opening match of the show. Chris Jericho versus Eddie Kingston on Rampage. Kingston had a great line. He said, kayfabe may be dead, but we don't have to piss on its grave. And he said that message was for the whole locker room. I loved that shit. It was great. It will get added to the show as a sound drop. <laughs> Now, as far as the match, uh, Kingston charged down to the ring and immediately hit a half and half suplex with Jericho landing squarely on his head. It was not dissimilar to Madcap Moss and the bump that he took at Elimination Chamber, but they barely checked Jericho. Luckily, he was fine. Jericho hit a great hurricanrana off the ropes, tore off a turnbuckle pad, did a vertical suplex off the apron onto the floor and hit some Germans, including one fully on Eddie's head. Then he added a lion salt for a near fall and Walls of Jericho for a near submission. Jericho got distracted arguing with the referee and ate two Saito suplexes, plus a spinning back fist for a 2.5 near fall. Jericho countered into a code breaker for a 2.5, then hit another one. Kingston ducked Judas Effect and hit two spinning back fists before submitting Jericho's ass right in the center of the ring. He looked shocked by his upset win. Then he celebrated with some swag, said he respects Jericho and offered his hand. Jericho stuck his hand out, then pulled it back, shaking his head, saying, I can't do it. Now, outside a lack of payoff at the end, which was actually disappointing for me, because mm-hmm. I think they would have gotten a huge pop if they shook hands. This was a baller match. Everything I like in wrestling. I'm a huge Chris Jericho fan. I've become a huge Eddie Kingston fan. Great action, storytelling, selling by both guys. There was some brutal stuff too in a really good way. I looked at this match and I said, where can I say it fell short? I couldn't find a way in which it fell short. I think there was zero flaws in this match. I may be higher than some others and you guys heard my grades for the rest of the matches on this card. This may shock you. 4.75 stars, A+. I am not thrilled that the storyline is going to continue after Revolution. It should have ended here, but... This was as good of an opening match as you could expect and as good of a match out of these two guys as you could expect. It wasn't a five-star match, but again, these are my grades. I'm telling you the type of wrestling that I like. And between this and Brian Danielson and uh, John Moxley late in the show, just two exemplary matches, two of my favorite matches of the year. The very first thing I wrote in my notes on this match was these guys beat the shit out of each other. And that was before what we knew was going to come in the, in the rest of the show, but it still stood up. I, I mean, in its own way, uh, 
this this was exactly what it needed to be. Like you said, Eddie Kingston finally got his win. You know, the, the, he didn't quite believe that he got it. They did a good job telling that story. The match was fun. Uh, they, they, they overcame a couple things and put together just an awesome match. I'm really glad Eddie Kingston gets his moment. I agree that I wish they had just shook hands and that been the end of it. Like, just let Eddie Kingston have it. We, we don't need to continue it. I, I hope it's not something where Jericho gets his win back. If we, we, we don't need one of those. But overall, I, I'm not going to give it 4.75. I'll probably give it 4.25. Um, but it was exactly what it needed to be at exactly the right spot. And just great job by everybody involved. All right, let us keep going here. We already talked Revolution Ladder Match and Swerve, so let's go to Darby Allen, Sting, and Sammy Guevara versus Andrade El Idolo, Matt Hardy, and Isaiah Cassidy in a Tornado six-man tag team match. So first, we have to talk about Rampage. TNT title match, Sammy, Darby, Andrade. There's a really cool one-man super-duperplex spot with Andrade on the bottom. Darby started whipping Andrade with a studded belt that was somehow allowed right in front of the referee. Sammy then caught Andrade in the Tree of Woe with a Van Terminator sans chair. Uh, there was a great sequence with all three before Darby hit Andrade with a flip-over stunner. Sammy added the GTH. Darby threw him outside the ring and landed the coffin drop only for Sammy to break the fall with the senton bomb and pin Andrade for the title retention. Awesome match. Obvious winner being Sammy. My only gripe, I wish they had sold more for each other in the match. I went four stars and an A- minus for this on Rampage. Andrade, by the way, has now lost to Sammy twice in two weeks and has not won a single TV match since mid-November, and that was a six-man tag team match. He's one in four on TV and pay-per-view since mid-November. Just kind of sucks to be him, to see him stuck in the mud, even if his in-ring work is definitely better in AEW than it was in WWE. But Chris, before we get to the match on the pay-per-view, I loved this match. I don't know if you saw it, but I said... During our ultimate preview, I said it again during our live show, this match on Rampage should have been the pay-per-view match. And what happened on uh, pay-per-view should have been on Rampage. I didn't see it. I had some stuff going on in, in my right. personal life. But but that was that was what I said, too. It, it made perfect sense to make it the pay-per-view match. I, I don't know if they just wanted to think it would sell out tickets because it was a live because it was a live rampage but yeah it was a natural thing to put on the pay-per-view i'm surprised yeah. they didn't well they probably wanted i think they wanted you know sting you know on the card and i think that's well yeah i guess we'll get into what the match was so yeah so okay let's <laughs> yeah. get into that um man like I, I hope when you guys listen to these shows you know like when i say the good and bad of matches it's constructive criticism right like it's i want it to be better it's things that you, i would Good. Yeah, you're giving things 4.5 stars in comp- in and and criticizing. Right, exactly. Yeah. Like I'm praising things, but saying, hey, look, you know, there's a couple things that I would have done differently or could have, could have, I think, been done a little bit better or whatever the case. Let's change that. And let me shit on something, okay? This match Whoa, was... Oh, wow. Yeah, this match was chaos. Uh, Andrade dropkicked the trash can into Sting, missed the can, kicked Sting, 62-year-old Sting in the chest. Then he killed Darby with a draping double stomp in the corner. Darby fell on his head. Mark Quinn, not in the match, decided to make it four on three and hit silly string outside over the barricade. It was a really cool spot. Everyone else went deep into the crowd. Butcher and Blade come out. It's now six on three. (laughs) Two tables were set up on the stage so Sammy could hit, candidly, when he jumped, okay, a truly insane Spanish fly off the set into two tables. The problem? The back of Isaiah Cassie's head slammed off one table. The other one collapsed and didn't break. If Cassidy was not concussed or worse, 
He's lucky as hell. He never left the stage. Trainers immediately came out. I thought it was disgusting and unnecessary. And by the way, stupid to think that you should do a table spot on top of a ramp that is slick. It's like, I don't know if it's Lucite or what the hell it is, but it's it's a slippery surface. It's not like a grippy rubber or something like that where it catches them and the table's not going to move. The table moved. The guy nailed his freaking head. So then you flip to the camera back in the crowd. You see three or four tables set up and 62-year-old Sting jumps off a railing into Andrade <laughs> through the tables. Should probably be the other way around. Hardy tried to twist the fate with a chair on Darby's neck in the ring. Darby countered into a scorpion death drop onto the chair. Then Darby flew for the coffin drop, completely missed Matt, literally 100% missed him. And he gets the one, two, three. And they still showed the replay of the miss twice after the match. I refuse, Chris, to even grade this. Fuck, no. this, in, fuck this entire thing. I hope Cassidy's okay. That's really all I care about. Tony Khan never should have allowed that shit to happen. I cannot imagine giving a thumbs up to doing that spot on a stage like that. That's it. So this was so weird. The, the, <laughs> the whole thing. This comes after Moxley, Danielson, Regal, when everybody's like flipping out. You know you have the world title match coming up. So everyone's like, okay, this is the like, Pop, not popcorn match, it was just like, this is the catch your breath match. I went out right as the entrance started. I went and took the dogs out because I was like, all right, this is going to be, nothing's going to happen. I come back to see Sting with like a flamethrower type thing. Don't know what the hell is going on. This match was insane. There was a lot of bad. You, you listed a lot of the, the bad and things that shouldn't have happened. And we, we hope Isaiah Cassidy is okay. But this also was, very entertaining for what for for what it was even the even some of the bad stuff was entertaining so like and, and, and the crowd was crazy into it at the end which i don't i don't know if that i guess that's what they want to do they wanted to get the crowd up even more going into the title match uh sting jumping through four tables that's a much you know compare that to the to the to the Cassidy Guevara, that was a much safer way to do it. They, I mean, by the time they hit the floor, they were basically placed on the floor because those tables basically just kind of carried them down. So that was a good way to do it. Why, why shouldn't Andrade be doing it to Sting? I don't know. Maybe it's because Andrade's one and four in his match. No, I want, I want to clarify something. I want to clarify something. I'm not saying that the Sting uh, bump was dangerous. Like it was. No, no, it no. Was you, you, it you, was thoughtfully done, but it was a risk that I don't think was worth taking. That's all. I, I well, I'm saying I thought they did. I thought they did a good job of protecting everybody involved. By I no, I agree because there were two levels of one. tables. Yes, I, yes. No, I agree with that. I do. That's yeah. why you're. That's why I'm surprised they would do the other one without much protection. And and, and even Sammy Guevara when he goes up there, he points himself. And he says, "I'm I'm crazy." Before he does this, so that 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 happens. The Darby Allen coffin drop that missed. That was a hundred percent on Matt Hardy, who takes the twist of fate, and then starts rolling away from the turnbuckle, sees Darby Allen get up, and keeps going. Like, he was almost on the move still when Dar Darby had to throw himself as far as he could. So I don't know what Matt Hardy thought the end of that match was supposed to be because he was getting away from Darby Allen right before the coffin dropped to end the match. Um, it was fun. Darby Allen's entrance was weird. I, I caught it later. I just, I'm still not super into him, but... I don't know this. I, I was going to give this like 
three stars because it was a lot more entertaining because my expectations were the floor. But the, some of the safety stuff, some of the botches were definitely a problem. But it was still entertaining. I want, I want to give it credit for that. Okay, well, I mean, I'm not grading it. Do you have something you want to say? I mean, well, I I think you should grade it. I'm not going to. I have well, zero we, interest. We do, when when we do when we do the good and the bad and the ugly, we still have to do it. I mean, this was a right, full on match. Uh, uh, I mean, there was there were entertaining spots. The credit, you know, credit to the workers. Um, I'm going to take it down to. I think I said three. I'm going to take it down actually. Maybe more of it. I will. Point. I'll go. I'll go. One point five stars. D plus. There's my grade. Okay. Okay. There's my yep. grade. Uh, TBS Championship: Jade Cargill versus Ty Conti. Uh, on Rampage, Mark Sterling said he added a stipulation. I was really confused. Added a stipulation where Jade couldn't be touched 24 hours before the match. So then Conti comes in, kicks her in the face, pretty poorly. And I guess she said, "Well, it's 20. It's 48 hours out, so I can do this now." Whatever. So then we had a match uh, on the pay-per-view. Cargill dressed as Jade for Mortal Kombat. Uh, great reference. And the gear looked, you know, fantastic. And I'm not saying that from any way other than like it actually fit the character, which was great. Now, the match started. Jay- well, actually, also, Jim Ross, Jim, Jim Ross says she looks like a superhero. <laughs> and Excalibur has to go, oh, and a Mortal Kombat character. Right. <laughs> Like literally, I think do. she's named after the Mortal Kombat character. So like, oh, I don't. Oh, that'd be cool. But yeah, yeah, I, I mean, I think I think that's the thing. case. I could be wrong, but I believe that's the case. Uh, Jade then kisses Ty Conti before the bell, which in another situation, that's the most action I've had all year. And I got to give Nyla Rose credit because she's very funny on Twitter, and <laughs> yeah. she tweeted, "HLA is all elite," referencing the old Eric Bischoff. Uh, stuff from back in the day. So very <laughs> funny tweet, Nyla. I love that. Uh, there was a decent hurricanrana by Ty and then a double botched pinfall attempt that was weird. Conti took out Sterling with a flying cannonball for no reason at all. So Jade punted Anna Jay. Jay hit Jade with a chair to the face in plain view of the referee. No disqualification. And Cargill then kicked out immediately after that. So that was three times on this show where someone took a chair shot, belt shot, something like that, kicked out immediately. Jade countered the Ty KO with Eye of the Storm, hit a frog splash for a near fall. Jim Ross compared it to Eddie Guerrero. I almost threw up when he did that. Uh, Conti hit the post from inside the ring and then lost to Jaded in six minutes. The finish was fine. It was kind of a pitiful match. I said it before. It did not belong on the show whatsoever. Two stars, C-. minus. Yeah, I mean, thankfully, I mean, this was the shortest match by, shoot, almost six minutes. And we can talk about the length of the show at the end of this. But yeah, I mean, it was it was short. It needed to be short. It didn't need to be on the show. It was fine. It was what it was. I'd probably give it, yeah, 2.5, three stars. The, not only was Jade's entrance cool. You can't go three stars. I'm not letting you get away. You can't get three stars what, for that. Uh, 2.5, sure. Okay. That's what I said. Jade's entrance had the guy playing the guitar playing her song, which was really cool. Mm-hmm. I, I thought that was like, that, that was just a really cool, simple way to do it. An interesting entrance. Uh, Ty Conti had the, the, the face paint and stuff too. So again, cool entrances. They made it feel like a bigger deal. Um, but, you know, this match was what it was, what we expected. Not much more to really say about it. All right. So that moves us into the buy-in, which was a three-match, four-segment show. 
Uh, look, I'm going to go through this as quick as I can, okay? Because I actually took too many notes for one match, but okay, we'll get through it quick. Uh, on Rampage, Alex Abrahantis was dressed pretty weird, cutting some promo about making a sacrifice to the house. They appeared behind the faces in the ring when Abrahantis revealed that Eric Redbeard was their third, their monster. Security came down really for no reason whatsoever, and the guy beat them up like he was Brock Lesnar. Nothing wrong with it, but it just didn't really feel worthy of being forced onto an already loaded pay-per-view. They should have just saved this for a TV. But the match we got was House of Black versus Pac, Penta, Oscuro, and Eric Redbeard. So Eric got a nice hot tag. Penta then got one where he did an awesome roll through Casadora on Malachi Black into a Canadian Destroyer on Buddy Matthews. Just fantastic stuff there. The match broke down with no tags. Pac hit a Poison Rana on Black. Brody King hit a really impressive Death Valley driver on Eric before landing a big man Tope Suicida. I had no idea at this point who was legal. Penta hit Black with a fear factor on the apron, but the referee wouldn't count because Black wasn't legal, so they got confused as well. Penta was legal, but outside the ropes, and he literally tagged Eric in while Eric was inside the ring. So really, the opposite way someone would tag in, they did a legal tag. The referee allowed it. Black Mass didn't take Eric out, so Black missed him in the face. King hit a sit-down tombstone pile driver. This was the first of the night. Uh, it felt pretty ridiculous that so much was needed to beat a guy in Eric Redbeard who isn't on the roster and is not particularly notable. The lack of tagging sloppiness and the confusing legality of the wrestlers, it really took me out of what was a pretty fun match with some really good spots. It was just messy and poorly executed, but there were a lot of great sequences here and I'm really happy Buddy is back on TV. I went 3.25 stars and a B. I don't know if, did you get to see this whole thing? I saw not the whole thing, but I saw parts of it. Okay. Thoughts? It was a lot of match for a pre-show. <laughs> it was a lot this of was, match. That's this was 17 minutes. This was 17 minutes. Why was this? Why? I mean, I guess they got more time than if it was on TV, but why is this not like the main event of a show next week? I, 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 yeah. I don't, I don't know. Um, it was fun. It was, it was, it was pretty good. There were some mistakes, like you said, but I'd probably give it, what'd you say? 3.5? 3.25 in a B. Yeah, I'd probably give it about the same. Um, I was, again, just mostly surprised that we got something like this on a, on a, a pre-show. Yeah. Especially after the, the first two were kind of what you expected. This was added at the last minute. It's probably what made the buy-in go from a half hour to an hour. Um, yeah, it was good. I was just mostly surprised with the pre-show match. Yeah, for sure. And then the other two matches on the pre-show, Hook versus QT Marshall. Hook won in a few minutes with Red Rum. Uh we also had Chris Statlander versus Layla Hirsch. Hirsch used a wrench to hit Statlander behind the referee's back before pinning her. Not what I expected, but it was nice to see her get a W. I didn't think either of these matches really belonged on a pre-show. If you wanted to just put that other one on, it would have been fine. These were just extra. Do you have any thoughts about these? Not really. I mean, I, I saw them while we were doing the the uh, our pre-show, record uh, our, our Twitter Spaces pre-show, so I didn't see them with commentary, but... It was fine. I mean, honestly, I think I honestly like these two are the types of matches you expect from a pre-show. But neither of them were really built up enough. I mean, Statlander Hirsch deserved to be on the pre-show. It was a storyline yeah. really built up. It was another women's you, match. You just don't want to see. You just don't want to see QT Marshall on your screen ever again. And, and I get it. No, I, I'm okay. okay with the few that they're building, but they've built it exclusively on Rampage. So pay it off on Rampage. Sure, that's all I'm saying. Yeah. Let them get 10 minutes on Rampage. You know, that's all. Uh, also, we had Don Callis uh, enter 
to Kenny Omega's music and screw over the crowd at one point. He basically blamed the fans for Omega not being active in AEW right now. I was hoping that Omega, when he did return, would have come back as a face, but I guess they're probably just going to stay with the same alignment. So I just wanted to say that, wrap up the entire thing. And then Chris, we're going to get to our post-show grades right now. Really quick before we do, um, there were no title changes on this show. And we definitely thought there would be at least one, given AEW does four pay-per-views a year at this point. And there were four title matches on the show. Were you disappointed that no titles changed hands? Yes. I I, I think in general, when you have a pay-per-view and you only have a few of them, you want to have a couple of like moments that you'll never forget that that someone wins the title for the first time and and stuff like that. And this show didn't quite have that. And it didn't have with the title changes. I, we both picked the women's title change, the Mm -hmm. women's title match. They're probably going to do it in two weeks. Sure. But you know, we, we picked, we picked all the other champions to retain. So we weren't surprised. It's it's not like they weren't building toward those same results, but uh, yeah, still surprising. All right. So Chris, with that, let's get into our AEW revolution post show grades. I'm going to start with what our fans, our listeners, our getting overheads had to say, and along with people who follow us, of course, on Twitter, who maybe don't even listen to the show. I don't know. Uh, But let's go with them first, and then you will give your grade. I will give mine. A reminder, let's go back to the pre-show expectation grades. Both of us were at A-. minus. The fans, we decided to break that down to a B+. It was 43% A, 43% B, 8% C, 6%. D to F. So let's, with that, move to the post-show grades where we have 47% A, so a higher percentage, 37, 38% B, a little bit lower, 10, sorry, sorry, 13% C and 3% D to F. And we know those D's and F's are bullshit because there's no way this was a D or F show. You couldn't possibly do that. But technically, 16% C to F is actually larger than 14% in the pre-show grade. So Chris, I break these down with a majority of A's more than anything else. I, I kind of think the fans are coming in at an A minus based on those numbers. Do you agree with me? Yeah, I don't know what the math is. I mean, there's some more C and, and DF kind of weighing it down a little bit. It's probably, it's probably about the same as what it was pre-show. We said that was about an A minus. So we said, well, we yeah. said B plus well, we said pre-show. B plus. But yeah. it actually just sw- it's just flipped. So it's 47A, 37B. It's still, there's still nine minutes left on the poll, so it's still counting. But there's a 10% difference in A and B here, whereas on the pre-show yeah. poll, they were even. So I think if we went B plus pre-show, then we give benefit of the doubt to A minus here on the post-show grade from the listeners. So Chris, with that, you always go first when we do the post-show grades. What did you think of AEW Revolution? I'm so I, I'm right between that B plus a minus mm-hmm. line. Um, I, I'm on the a minus side because I enjoyed pretty much everything on the show. Like there was nothing I didn't hate. There was nothing I thought was a waste of time. Everything was entertaining. Uh, you know, I everything was pretty good. The B plus side of me tells me, well, was there anything, was there anything transcendent, anything that we'll just like, we'll remember forever? Was there any title changes? Um, and and there weren't any of those big, big moments either. You know, I had an A minus coming in. I'm probably going to stay A minus 
here. I, I'm going to go A minus, but it's like it's the kind of show where it's like it's it's not on your show of the year list by the end of the year. But it was just a, re- a really, really solid top to bottom show with three or four matches that I thought were really, really good. I think you probably nailed the explanation of that. So there was a lot on the show that was fantastic. Great wrestling, right? Some There were a couple moments. Uh, the, the entire, like I said, for me at least, Moxley Danielson and then William Regal coming out at the end. But I kind of look at it and I'm like, for all the moments that I thought were just going to absolutely crush, did they? And no, and they didn't. Right. So the women's match, the women's match for me totally underdelivered, like completely, as did the ladder match. Now, I was way lower on that than you were. Um, but I also like absolutely loved Jericho Kingston, uh, Moxley and Danielson. I've already talked about multiple times. Paige Cole wasn't necessarily like a match I'll watch again or anything like that. But it, it was certainly a notable match and, and exceptionally good, well wrestled. And the tag team match, the triple threat, was very good as well. But there was a lot that kind of brought down this show. And I thought after those first two matches, it hit a significant lull until we finally got to basically the finish of CM Punk and MJF. So when I gave my eight, this is how I'm grading it. I want to make it very clear because you guys know I gave, uh, what, four grades that were A or A plus on the show. So clearly I liked the wrestling that I got on the program. But when I gave my pre-show expectation grade, I thought that Mox Danielson was going to blow me out of the water and Punk MJF, I was so excited for. I thought it was going to be match of the night. The women, I thought were going to deliver in a massive way. And I thought the main event was going to be exceptionally good, like, like better than it was. And if I'm dealing with expectation versus reality, then I have to say this fell below my expectation. But the problem, Chris, here's the the problem, is I don't think it was a B show because there was just so much talent and so much really good wrestling. So this is how I'm going to do it, okay? There's a large range when you're grading, at least for academia, right? Uh, When you're grading an A minus or a B plus, like there's multiple numbers, right, in that thing. I'm going to give this a 90 out of 100. It's my lowest possible A minus grade, but I am going to give it an A minus just because there were there was so much good wrestling on this show, and that William Regal moment like made up for a couple other things that I really didn't like. So and and, and also in many cases, I will, I'll add one more thing: the right people won most of the matches. Like Wardlow coming out on top, the, that moment. Let's not forget about that with the CM Punk MJF that feud continuing, the Mox and Danielson Danielson thing with William Regal, Hangman Page getting maybe not his biggest win in terms of opponent, but his most storyline driven win in the main event clean without any shenanigans. His most legitimate win. His, his most, his yeah, strong, kind of like, his strongest win. Exactly. His strongest win. And then Chris Jericho Kingston, by the way, completely exceeding my expectations. So mm-hmm. because of all those reasons, I do lean to the A minus over the B plus. I think either way you can't go wrong, but I'm at that 90. I'm the lowest possible A minus, but still an A minus. Yeah, I, I think that's fair. Honestly, I also think I also think we'd be more comfortable in the A minus range if you cut maybe <laughs> yeah. twenty five minutes to a half hour off the show. Agreed. Yeah, it's it, it was it was so. And look, the crowd was there in parts at the end, but there were parts in CM Punk MJF in Moxie Danielson. 
where the crowd just wasn't there because it was a lot. The, t- the one, entire TBS match, they were out of it. There were one, yeah. two, three, four, five, six, six main card matches at least 17 minutes long. And plus the pre-show match that went 17 minutes. There were three of those went over 20 minutes, two of them over 25 minutes. That's a lot. And, and look, we talked, you know, some of the WWE shows recently, pay-per-views, they're really cutting back on the actual wrestling and giving you a lot more commercials and ads and stuff like that. I think there's a middle ground between the two. Agreed. Where yep. the AEW Revolution, there's almost there's almost nothing between the matches outside of commentary making an announcement or you have the swerve thing. But they're just like boom, 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 match, match, match. The mm-hmm. crowd needs some time to catch themselves. And that doesn't mean extend the show. That means cut back a little bit on the, uh, on each of these. And, matches. and by the way, also the video packages on AEW, like sometimes they do a good job. They were so lackluster on this show. Yeah, they, they weren't great. Like it was, they were really not good. And and I, I know you like the presentation. Like you like the stage and many of those things. I did too. It was better than it, was better than it typically is. Yeah. yeah, it was really, it looked really sharp and nice and good. But I mean, was, by the way, was there pyro on the show? I don't think there was. Um, I feel like I remember Jade having some pyro. Hmm. Okay. It's not. It's not. Um. It's, coming. It to doesn't mind come right to now. mind. It's a good point, though. It doesn't come to mind like when you're thinking about it. Yeah. Okay. I for I, for some reason I don't think there was. Maybe it was a building restriction or something like that, or or maybe I just forgot. But regardless, uh, lastly, I would be remiss. We did set an over under Chris of four point yes. five. Blade jobs slash purposeful hard ways on the show. And at least by my count, we were only at three. So we fell definitely under that total. Are you? I, I counted. So what, what three? Uh, Punk, MJF, and Moxley. So did we determine if, if Brian was bleeding or not? No, that was Moxley. First, so Brian they, was legit said, bleeding out of yeah. his mouth, but that was yeah. legit. That wasn't like something you know that yeah because well, the first yeah. he had the blood on his head and they first they said it was mox and then they said no i think then i think it's his mouth no i think it is him bleeding so i, I was never sure even the final this is how i put it even if he was, was bleeding i don't think it was purposeful that's true and, and either we, way it, it falls it, it, and either way it falls under fourth and we did it, right yeah. we did stipulate it um it had to be purposeful so yeah, it was under, but I, I think three, four is kind of what I was was looking at. Well, so. I was surprised because yeah. there were so many belt shots and there were so yeah. many ways and reasons where blood could have happened. Like we thought we, we thought we Hangman thought would Hang, blade, you know? We thought Hangman would because he's been bleeding a lot. Yeah, Hangman so didn't blade and, and, and Danielson I didn't count. So there you go. That didn't get us there. But, uh, you know, our voting, I did put a poll for that as well just because I was curious <laughs> what you guys would say. And I think three quarters of you, let me find it. Yeah, 75% said over 4.5. 25% wow. under, so the unders win. Good on you guys for picking that. Chris, um, this was quite a show. Uh, breaking down AEW Revolution instant analysis style. Look, folks, uh, l- let me be as candid as I can without giving things away. There's a scheduled interview for the Getting Over Wrestling podcast this week with someone who was on this show. It actually would technically be the first AEW interview uh, that we've had on the podcast, even though Lord knows I've tried. Um, it's supposed to happen. The person told me it would happen and I just haven't heard back from them yet. So look, Monday, Tuesday, my expectation is that I will be interviewing this person. If so, you will get that on the getting over wrestling podcast. And I hope you can tell I'm pretty excited about it. So, uh, it's someone that I've wanted to interview for a long time, but regardless of whether that interview happens or not, we do have a significant week 
of professional wrestling audio coming up for you on Tuesday. We will be back with a WWE show and a lot of stuff happened on SmackDown, Chris. And I'm actually pretty excited to talk about along with we get to discuss the Vince McMahon interview with Pat McAfee, which I hope you watched. And if you didn't, Chris, you need to before the show. And all of you need to either watch it or listen to it as well, because it was quite something. Uh, But we'll do WWE, as always, on Tuesday. The road to WrestleMania continues. We will be back Thursday to talk AEW, uh, the Dynamite after Revolution, a couple stragglers from Rampage, as well as NXT Roadblock, uh, which is happening on Tuesday this week. A sudden special show that kind of came out of nowhere, but I am very excited to talk about that as well. So like I said, a loaded week of professional wrestling podcasting coming to your ear holes. And a reminder too, that when we give you that fine professional wrestling audio here on Getting Over, So be sure to head on over to Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Leave a five-star rating on Apple. Also leave a review. Tell people why you love the show, why they should subscribe, and how much you like these instant analysis episodes. We will read five-star reviews live on the show. And also, folks, please do not forget to follow us on Twitter at Getting Overcast. Not only do we take your poll results, we also read your DMs and tweets on the air, answer your questions, and discuss your thoughts. So don't forget, you can always tweet or DM us over there. Chris, do you have anything else before we get out of here? Uh, This show probably should have been called Blood and Guts. (laughs) Instead of Revolution. Uh, you know that that fame. I was thinking. I, I was thinking. I wonder what Vince McMahon thought of these again. Yeah, possibly. Possibly could. Never know. Thank you all for listening. I appreciate it. We will be back on Tuesday. But at this time, the silver game is just going to leave you with three final words. Bye for now.